Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Breaching Extinction. This week, we had the privilege of interviewing Taylor Shedd, Program Coordinator for Soundwatch, a research and educational organization which focuses on understanding and bettering the relationship between whales and boats. Thank you for taking the time to let us interview you. Um, So can you tell us your name and background and all that jazz? Uh, My name is Taylor Shedd. I am currently the Soundwatch Program Coordinator here at the Whale Museum. I am originally from Indiana, like all great marine biologists, and ended up in the Pacific Northwest, actually when I was in high school working for a whale watch company as a naturalist. I then got my undergrad at the University of Hawaii in marine biology, and then my master's at Scripps down in San Diego, and did my master's on the foraging ecology of the Southern Residence. So tied all back around and ended nice. up, up here at the Whale Museum. Love and I've been here for two years now in this position. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what Soundwatch is and the history of how it came to be? Uh, yes, yeah, so Soundwatch is the on-the-water research and education program of the Whale Museum, and it started in the late 90s as... Okay, okay or in the early 90s, 1993, as there was an increase in interest and knowledge about the southern resident killer whales up here in Washington, and also a growing uh, commercial whale watch fleet and just private vessels. Um, This is the same year that the first Free Willy movie came out, so there's just a lot of interest and hype around the whales. Um, So there was a need for on-the-water education and also monitoring of these vessels interacting with this population. And then, you know, Soundwatch grew as the industry did and as the whales continued to decline through both Canada and the U.S., listing the population as endangered. You know, we've been strong partners in the Be Whale Wise campaign, which is a big partnership of education and outreach for just all marine wildlife viewing in the Salish Sea. Um, And... You know, a lot of the research that we have uh, collected over the years has gone through to inform those management decisions as, you know, vessels are one of the top three main threats to the Southern residents. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we kind of play that key role of being on the water every day, doing like passive Mm -hmm. observational data um, that goes back all the way until 1993. Nice. Um, And can you explain to people why vessels are problematic for the whales? Yeah, so there's a few different impacts that vessels have on marine mammals, in particular for the southern residents. There are orca whales, which are actually the largest member of the dolphin family, so they echolocate, um, which means they produce very high-frequency noise, like sonar, like bats. And um, the frequency that those clicks are at are very similar to what engines, especially small, um, high-RPM outboard engines, The frequency that those engines produce in the water is about the same as what the orca whales are in. So there's kind of this masking disturbance of that, you know, the noise of the boats is the same frequency at which these whales are communicating in. And then there's big, large vessel traffic, which is more of a low frequency that's kind of just more of a a constant noise. Like if you're at a cocktail party or whatever, you always talk a little bit louder Um, or the night or the morning after you go to a concert, you like wake up and you can't hear anything. It's because your body has actually shifted to the ambient noise that you're used to. So there's the noise factor and then there's the actual like physical disturbance of 
You know, we've had boats that have ran over whales or, you know, boats that get too close to whales while they're foraging, uh, they stop foraging and they travel more, they swim closer to shore, that kind of thing. So there's kind of the indirect disturbance through acoustics and the direct physical disturbance by like boats just getting too close to the whales sometimes. Okay. So do you guys usually use hydrophones to collect acoustic data while you're monitoring them as well? We don't. On SoundWatch, we don't really do too much acoustic data since we're on a boat ourselves and have mm-hmm. to move around with the whales. We can't really sit still True. for too long. Um, the Whale Museum is a partner with um, Smru Consulting, who does a lot of the hydrophones for the Orca Network, and um, the Whale Museum runs the hydrophone at the Lime Kiln Lighthouse. So mm-hmm. we have access to that data and utilize it sometimes, but a lot of our stuff... Uh, mainly just focuses on above the water. Okay, nice. Um, let's see. So, do your roles from the past differ from your present role? Like when you guys started, or is it pretty much consistent? Uh, I think it's evolved and adapted as the times have, but mm-hmm. it's still the same premise of on-the-water education because back in the early 90s, it was just letting people know that there were whales here mm-hmm. and what was going on. And now, you know, lots of people in western Washington and people visiting this area know that there are whales around and something's going on. And, you know, we've had the governor's task force in 2018, 2019. There's been new vessel regulations. It's kind of been in the news. We, 2018, there was J35, who carried a deceased calf. There's J50, who was a young whale that um, passed away. So it was, it was very... Um, heightened in the media so there's people that are aware of it um so you know we our education message and everything has kind of shifted and you know our data has become more important as we get changes in vessel regulations to see you know how that affects the whales and how it affects boaters and you know, we have lots of different user groups or stakeholders up here we have a commercial whale watch fleet we have recreational fishermen we have kayaks we have private boaters we have large tankers, and, you know, how they all interact in this environment and with the whales is very different. So looking at those different groups of vessels as these changes come forward has been very interesting. No doubt. Um, I was, I'm in the process of reading Monica Shield's book, Endangered Orcas, and she's talking about how these are, like, the most watched whales in the world, and I've kind of found, this is anecdotal, like, I don't have any scientific evidence or data but it seems to me like these are some of the this is some of the most responsible like ecotourism that I've ever seen or most like well-studied ecotourism um how do you think other organizations can learn from like Soundwatcher or other things or where do you think we can improve as well yeah well I think the southern residents are unique in that we know every single individual in the population and they're very identifiable People, I hear the comparison to like elephants mm-hmm. um, in Africa and that they know every individual. They know how old they are. Mm-hmm. You know, we have genetics on most of them. We have hormone data on some of them throughout their lifetime. So we know them very well, kind of like on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Salish Sea human population has been growing almost exponentially the past 10, 20, 30 years. Um so yeah, they are heavily watched from shore, from land. Um, so you know, kind of their location is 
pretty much usually always known or at least <laughs> hypothesized by lots of right. people. Um, so, yeah, the... And, you know, the whale watch industry has always been very organized here. You know, the Pacific Whale Watch Association, which most active commercial whale watch boats are a part of. Um, they've been around for a long time. have been partners with Soundwatch and the Whale Museum and other groups um, for a while. And, you know, they've definitely adapted and grown as they've gotten more boats, more companies, bigger boats, getting rid of smaller, older boats. You know, they are, you know, at the forefront of being good eco-tour uh, companies. Uh, but your question was if they are the best. I don't know if they're the best. Like, well, I'm not, just in are general, they the best, like, but like how can... bad about them. <laughs> yeah, no, no, of course not. But like how can other places learn? Because I've definitely like, you know, I've been to Tanzania and I talked about this on a different episode, um, but I had a really impactful experience where um, there were at least a hundred safari vehicles like trying, like getting in the way of a lion trying to hunt down a zebra and like that's always stuck with me. Um, so, like, what can other organizations learn from things out here? Or, like, how can we improve as well? Because even if we are really good, there's always room to improve. Yeah, and, you know, going back to your comment that these are the most watched whales in mm-hmm. the world. Yes, no, probably, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think these whale watch boats are some of the most watched boats in the world. True. With, you know, true. lots of people living out here on the islands, on mm-hmm. shore. You know, these boats are always in front of someone's house. So I think the boats are probably the most watched whale watch fleet in the okay. world. I would say that um, for sure. So I think the Whale Watch Association has been very aware of that and adapted to that mm-hmm. as keeping numbers of boats down mm-hmm. around certain groups of whales, especially with the heightened awareness of the plight of the southern residents and just the public's concern over whale watching. I think that whale watch boats, the commercial fleet, has definitely been targeted as a negative impact to the whales, uh, maybe a little bit biasly. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think they've done a good job in kind of creating their own um within the association their own kind of like regulations to try to minimize the number of boats that are around a single group of whales and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so yeah i think they they're taking steps to be better Mm -hmm. i mean everyone that works on whale watch boats like you guys you all love the whales Mm -hmm. and want to do right by them and want to educate people and everything so i don't think they're out there trying to you know hurt the whales in any way um, so I think they're, you know, trying to do the best that they can. But mm-hmm. it's hard. I mean, it's a huge industry. There's lots of money to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an expectation. People have all seen the freewheeling movies. They True. know that they jump. They know that they play. Mm-hmm. Like, what time are the whales? I, yeah. think, I think that's what one time of the most... Jump? <laughs> yeah, that's the most frequent com- the yeah. question we get is, you know, when, when do they jump? When do they breach? Yeah, and so it's, a, it's almost like a public perception and marketing scheme is every single whale watch brochure you pick up has a breaching whale on the cover Mm -hmm. so that's what everyone expects they all want that instagram that facebook photo or whatever of like the amazing whale so when you're sitting at the uh, state regulation 300 yards and they're asleep or something Mm -hmm. you know i luckily don't take out (laughs) paying customers on my boat so you know i can't imagine what that pressure is sometimes so you know it's it's definitely a public perception kind of thing of how these boats have to behave to people looking at them and how people on that on the boat want that boat to behave to get close to the whales or something so for sure it's tricky yeah um 
what has like what kind of data have you guys found or what what have the findings been with the different groups of boats that you've looked at yeah so our data is unique in that it's a long time series so since 1998 our data set has pretty much been the same mm-hmm. it's has it's had to adapt as vessel regulations changed because mm-hmm. what was illegal in in 1998, you had to stay 100 yards away from all marine mammals. Uh-huh. And in 2008, uh, it became 200 yards with southern residents. And then now 2018, Canada made theirs to 200 meters. Uh, and then, yeah, 2019, Washington State made it 300 meters. Canada made it 400. So, you know, it's it's had to adapt over time. But definitely that long time series um looking at you know growth of the commercial industry growth of private boats up here and then how um almost the public perception of whales has changed with you know people back in the day you know oh i'm a local i've been here for a long time so i know how to behave around the whales and i they know my boat i can get close to them they know me i behave right Mm -hmm. you know now it's kind of shifted to more um you know we all want to give them space we want to be as far away as we can um but then you know there's some people who just aren't aware or oblivious to what's going on so now kind of at least our biggest struggle is you know small vessels at high speed traveling in close proximity to the whales. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't really see that, um, you know, in the early 90s, late 90s. We didn't really see that kind of incident happening. Um, So, yeah, it's it's changed a lot, and it changes year to year almost. You know, the whale watch commercial industry, number of boats have kind of plateaued at this point. Mm -hmm. seems like it's reached its stabilizing point. There's companies that are adding bigger boats and getting rid of smaller boats but then there's more companies cropping up so it's kind of found its plateau of boats out on the water but we keep getting more and more private boats and more of them from what I would call South Sound down in Seattle there's obviously been a big population growth down there especially in income levels you know people that work for big tech companies or whatever you know, they're looking at some of the boating data. You know, they're all pulling together five friends and buying a boat and then coming up here on the weekends or for 4th of July or mm-hmm. something. Whereas back in the day, a lot of the boats that we saw here were Anacortes, Bellingham, local islanders. And now we're getting more and more people that are coming up from South Sound or chartering boats and, you know, maybe aren't from this area. So then the education message has to shift and your target audience is shifting. So it used to be really great for us to be up here on San Juan Island and we could just go out and talk to people on the dock and inform them about what was going on. But now it's like, oh man, I have to reach the how many ever million people living in Seattle. Right, yeah. It's definitely shifting. So it seems as though your tool for combating these issues is through education, correct? Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of it is education right now Mm -hmm. just because there are so many users and different users up here in this area but Mm -hmm. it's not the only arrow in the quiver there has to be a lot of other stuff going on Mm -hmm. so you know the research the management the public private partnerships all that kind of stuff has to happen simultaneously but education is a big piece Mm -hmm. um you know our attention span is very short and you know even though the residents have been on the news multiple times there's still a lack of awareness when it you actually get out there on the water 
and, you know, you're watching it on TV or reading one of our posters or brochures and saying, like, oh, yeah, I know, you know, I have to say 300 yards away. Mm-hmm. But now you're on a boat on the ocean. You see whales. There's a bunch of boats around you. There's tide. There's current. There's waves. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I don't know what 300 yards looks exactly. like. Or, yeah. I forget what it is. I yeah. know it's a distance. Maybe it's mm-hmm. 200. Maybe it's 100. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's definitely, like, that complexity to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, right now the Salish Sea is interesting because it's an international boundary that's we're closer to Canada than we are to the U.S. mainland right mm-hmm. now sitting right. in this office. So, you know, they used the vessel regulations on either side of the border used to be synonymous and mm-hmm. now they're different. So mm-hmm. then, you know, there's lots of people that come up from Seattle that go up into the Canadian Gulf Islands or, you know, they're taking their boat all the way to Alaska. So they're passing from you know, Washington state jurisdiction and mm-hmm. NOAA on the U.S. federal side into Canadian federal back DFL. into, yeah, back into Alaska right. state. So, you know, there's, and they're all different, mm-hmm. they're different among populations. There's the Southern residents, there's transient killer whales, mm-hmm. there's Northern mm-hmm. residents once you get up into uh, North Vancouver Island and the vessel regulations for all those different populations are different. So it's just complex right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely, like, a lot of, of key factors, and that whole international bit can throw a wrench in things or further complicate it yeah. for sure. And that's what Be Whale Wise is all about. Be Whale Wise is a partnership between all the major players kind of up in this area to produce consistent and concise messaging for whales so that you don't have Washington State, NOAA government, the Whale Museum, DFO... Mm-hmm the Vancouver Graham, the Seattle Graham. You don't have all these people mm-hmm. making different brochures saying, mm-hmm. hey, this is what you need to know about the whales and this mm-hmm. is how far you need to stay away from them. We all work together and produce one um, set of materials campaign that is Be Whale Wise. So it's all the same branding and everything. So it should be, mm-hmm. you know, the same throughout this region. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's getting more difficult with, you know, the U.S. and Canada having different regulations and different views and stuff like that. Right. So... It's a struggle, but yeah, we all still have like thirty people on a conference call once a month about be well wise. So wow, That's it's good. crazy. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's you know it's two federal governments, a mm-hmm. state government, local nonprofits, and educators. So yeah, it's That's a lot of hands. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So we've still kept kept it tight that we're not going to translate the BYLY's brochure into French. It's always <laughs> Canada because if Canada, right. Canada government, everything has to be translated in French. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just funny because, I mean, the BYLY's operates as like a nonprofit, even mm-hmm. though it's these government entities are feeding into it. It's funny. That is funny. Um, so do you guys do on the water education as well? Yeah, so Soundwatch is out on the water uh, pretty much every day from May through September out there when the whales are around. Um, Obviously, we target Mm -hmm. the southern residents, so whenever they're in the area, we're on the water with them. And, yeah, we're educating the private boaters that are in the area. Um, Usually it's just, hey, how's it going? Do you Mm -hmm. have any questions? They don't have naturalists on board. They don't really know what's going on. Um, that, you know, then we're also there to mitigate risk and disturbance away from these whales. Like I said, those boats at high speed and close proximity to the whales, mm-hmm. we operate under a National Marine Fisheries Research Permit, so we can break the law. We can get closer to the whales mm-hmm. than your average boat only to mitigate risk away. So we've had that before where there's, you know, a boat that's in really close to the whales and 
you know, they're following the whales uh, at close proximity and we can't hail them on the radio. We're waving at them. Like, mm-hmm. we don't know what's going on. Yeah. They can't, they don't get the picture so we can move in close and just talk to them, get them to back down. Or even more often, um, you know, we'll have a boat at high speed, almost on like a collision course with the whales and I've we can get before. in front of them and just kind of say, hey guys, just be aware you're coming into an area of whales. Slow down, be aware, you know, this is how far you need to stay away. So yeah, we're out there on the water, uh, educating people. And then, you know, we do a bunch of other stuff too. We do dock talks in the summer. So we do just walk the docks and talk to people. We go to boat shows and uh, we speak to yacht clubs and other groups uh, that come through the area. So yeah. Do you find most people are receptive? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are receptive. I would say maybe 10% of our interactions are like neutral um, or people that just don't want to hear it don't want to talk to us um don't know who we are i don't know we try not to we don't have lights we don't have horns we're not enforcement Mm -hmm. we smile and say nice things to people but um i don't know a boat approaching you some people people, people, (laughs) and then maybe five percent are like negative um and it's for a multitude of reasons um you know, some people out there think it's all the harbor seals and all the harbor seals are eating the salmon and there's very strong opinions about that. There's very strong opinions about commercial whale watch boats. There's very strong opinions about oil tankers coming through the area. So, hmm. you know, so those are some of the interactions that we field and just try to talk to people and let them know. Yeah. So It's interesting. But yeah, most people are receptive and like I said, we're... A lot of the private boats don't have naturalists on board, so even just telling people, like, oh, this is J-Pod, they're like, oh, my gosh, like, I didn't Aww. even know that. Like, is that the baby? You know, and then, yes, and then we can talk yeah, about those kind yeah. of things and, um, you know, oh, what are they doing here? What are they eating? Like, you know, the conversations can go in a multitude of directions, but usually people are yeah, super receptive to who we are, so. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's really interesting. There's a lot of different, like, things that are affecting them and it's, it seems like people like to cling to one thing but it's it's a lot like it's vessels it's salmon pcbs all of it yeah um, unfortunately there's no silver bullet or there's no hey if we spend this amount of money we can save the whales or like if we do this one thing we can save the whales and it kind of runs the gambit of all the things happening in our society right now from you know just climate change in general other environmental impacts, you know, and it reaches all the way inland where you have farmers and people talking about tearing down dams in mm-hmm. eastern Washington and Oregon and Idaho and all those things. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's far-reaching. It is far-reaching. There's lots of stakeholders. Absolutely. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you find in your job and what are some of the most rewarding things? Um... Biggest challenges. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Some of the most rewarding things are when we either recontact a boat in the summer or someone asks us a question or you can kind of see it click for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been multiple times where you know, we'll approach a boat and it'll be like a bunch of kids and they'll just like have a ton of questions or they'll be like, oh, what's that whale's name? And then they'll go adopt that whale or something. And that's really cool. 
Um, or, you know, we contact boats multiple times throughout the summer if mm-hmm. they're local or something, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you're, you know, Taylor from Soundwatch or, you know, th- one of the other drivers or whatever. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, so we saw transients the other day. What's different with this ones? And, like, you know, so they kind of have been thinking about it, and mm-hmm. they know who we are. Very and, cool. Um, so that's always cool. Um, challenging... Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of all those things I've said is, like, there's... Yeah. We all want to help the whales. We all want to do the right thing and help them out. Um, and with just so much going on, always trying to, like, be positive mm-hmm. and do the right thing and help out can mm-hmm. be challenging, so... Yeah. Everybody. And everybody's got a different idea of what that looks yeah. like, too, and that's probably difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely... We were watching The Whale. Have you seen that? You've got the poster. Oh, you've got the poster. <laughs> of course. But... When the biggest takeaway I think that we talked about was like there were so many hands in it that it just got really messy. Like, do you think that that's an issue having too many people in it, or do you think it's helpful to have um, a lot of perspectives? I think it's useful to have lots of helpful people. Okay. And <laughs> yes. motivated people. Um, there are some unhelpful people in this realm and some groups that are unhelpful. Um, so yeah, that, that's challenging too, but no, I mean, almost, I always think the more the merrier, but as long as you're coordinated and all working together and not being divisive and, um, I don't know, I've, I don't know if I've had a unique science experience, but I never really got the... I don't know, whenever you hear about the news, like, oh, scientists are just always arguing for money, and, like, that's the only thing they do is to make publications, and, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, scientists are fighting. I, like, never had that experience, kind of, until I got here, and now I understand it a little bit of, you know, there are a lot of groups out here, and Mm -hmm. there is a limited funding pool for, you know, anything environmental right now, um, which is, like, a whole other complex issue. Mm -hmm. Um... So, yeah, I, mean, I kind of get that a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Monica Shields highlights that in her, her book. I had Ellie read the section about that this morning. It was a little disheartening it for was, you, I think. Yeah, I, I had to sit there and just kind of absorb it. And Erica looks over at me, and she's like, you're pissed now, aren't you? I had a, like, similar to you, I hadn't ex- really noticed scientists fighting until I came out here. I mean, yeah. I did like dolphin research in Florida for a couple of different groups and it was it was fine we worked together and it was great and shared data and all this stuff and out here it's a little, yeah. a little different yeah and I think it's like part of these are the most watched whales mm-hmm. out there so like everyone and everyone cares you know so lots of people you know hey I really care about the whales I really love them mm-hmm. whatever I want to do something uh, I'm gonna go start my own nonprofit and like start to apply for this funding and do these things. Mm-hmm. Well, if someone else is already doing it, or mm-hmm. maybe you're not effective at it. Yeah, there's a ton of nonprofits out here. Like I was shocked when I came out here. I was like, oh my gosh! Like any kind of entity that you could think of, they have it. There's so many like different organizations. It seems like there's definitely a lot of overlap too. Like we could potentially consolidate a lot, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Not my place, I guess. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, like, your personal experience of how you got into this field, why you like the Southern Residence? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, far from any ocean. Um, kind of always, like, the outdoors and mm-hmm. swimming and that kind of thing. And then my family just took a vacation out here 
almost like, and I think part of the reason coming out here was like, oh, there are whales here, mm-hmm. and the Free Willy movies had come out. I watched them as a kid, so that was like part of the reason we came out here and saw the whales, and then yeah, like just fell in love. You know, I like the mountains out here, the ocean, and the whales is just very different from where I grew up, so it was just drawn here. Um, and then knew I wanted to study marine biology, and so just kind of always had that interest in whales and mm-hmm. whatnot, and it just has carried through until now. Um, so yeah, and you know, I think the whales are, uh, especially the southern residents, are very unique in that, yes, we know every single individual and just you know how intelligent and smart they are and how there's this social complexity to it of, you know, these are families, you know, we lose a member, how does the entire population change when you lose one individual? Like, what significance did that one individual have to uh, the population? So in the recent years, we've all been talking about the granny effect, Mm is granny was this matriarchal female who was leading J-Pod, who was the oldest Southern resident, I think the oldest female that we really know to science uh, in killer whales. And then she passed away. And then we've really had some behavioral changes um, to the Southern residents since then. So how much of that can be attributed to just losing that one individual? Mm -hmm. Like she was alive in the 60s and 70s and 80s when there were, you know, more salmon runs, less boats. But now as that landscape has changed... You know, what memories and information did she share with her family or, you know, whatever. So, and I don't know if we'll really know. We're trying to look at that to see, you know, what is the granny effect yeah. of, mm-hmm. or is it just like there's no salmon left here, so they're just spending time <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. does that really matter if granny's here or not? So, what, uh, what do you, what do you think we can learn from the Southern residents? Um, I mean... They're just one of those uh, highlight species or populations of, but there's a ton of them, so it's almost annoying that <laughs> just this, yeah, it's another great example of, um, yeah, just another population kind of suffering and on the decline from uh, human impacts, direct and indirect impacts from humans, and all the effort that is being put towards helping them um, and how that works and sometimes doesn't work, um, I think is really interesting. For sure. Yeah. But I don't know. I, my, one of my messages is always that I still have hope. I still think that there are things that are helping these whales right now and things that can help this population in the future and that no individual should be disheartened. There are things that individuals can do every single day. You know, like with the governor's task force and all these government entities and all this stuff going on uh, that people shouldn't get sidelined and think like, oh, the government is going to do it. They're going to save the whales. Like, no, there's things that individuals can do every single day that will help these whales, whether that's, I don't know, recycle more or eat sustainable seafood get your car cleaned at a car wash versus in your driveway. You know, when your prescriptions are up, don't just flush them down the toilet, take them back to the pharmacy and recycle them or dispose of them properly. Like just those little things actually add up. And so if lots of people start to do those things, that'll make a difference. So 
don't get disheartened and don't mm-hmm. feel like you should just wait for someone to do something. Like, mm-hmm. there's things that we can all do every day to help. Absolutely. Um, there was an interview we did that we had some technological issues, so it's, we don't have that anymore. But we had mentioned using products like soaps and shampoos and things like that that are environmentally friendly too so you're not putting much chemicals down the drain we talked about lush because they have plastic free options and then um do either of you know the name of that what is the the um, organization where you can learn about sustainable seafood oh monterey Bay. yes check that out too (laughs) there's actually a really interesting study i think it was done by the university of washington Mm -hmm. about like wastewater and stuff and that they've seen this huge spike in lavender oil showing up in um like wastewater and stuff and like it showing up in the natural environment and being like well it's considered like this green product but it like doesn't break down the environment so they're like these huge like almost oil slicks of lavender oil around oh my gosh i had no idea you should look that up i don't quote me on that Oh my gosh, we'll have to look it up and then share it. Yeah, Lena, super interesting. I think linalool is, I think, is the active ingredient. That's that's not like the best stuff for, for everything. I what? didn't even think of that. I use lavender oil constantly. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh wow. That's... Yeah, it was really interesting. Oh my gosh, look at I that. What? <laughs> this is crazy. Interesting. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. funny, too, because we've got Pelendava out here, and yep. they put that, wow, that's a big lavender production. Nice. That's super funny. Do you have any particularly memorable experiences with the Southern residents? I mean, everyone has that, like, one story where, oh, I thought it looked at me, and we became friends. <laughs> <laughs> But, no, I mean, there's a bunch. Um, so you're not friends with the Southern residents? <laughs> I mean, I don't think they know me as an individual. Right. I, I could believe... I could believe that they know maybe the Soundwatch boat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I was at the University of Hawaii, back when I was there, um, the Marine Mammal Research Lab had a captive facility. We had three animals that were left over from the um, Navy program that used to be in Hawaii. So we had three bottlenose dolphins, and then we had a false killer whale, actually. Mm. And they uh, could identify individual members, like individual people, and they Mm. could identify our boats and stuff like that. Um, I don't think anyone really has enough FaceTime or interaction with the whales for the whales to, like, recognize a person. For sure. Um, but they probably recognize boats that have been around. Mm-hmm. I feel like boats always have, like, a unique signature for mm-hmm. how they sound and what they look like, so mm-hmm. I feel like maybe they kind of get that. Um, you know, but there was... I saw the whales at the Lemkin Lighthouse once in the dark, and that was really cool, and they were sleeping, and they were really close to shore, and... When they're sleeping, they, you know, take big, long pauses at the surface to breathe. And, you know, we were right there on the rocks or whatever. And they all came up at the same time and just, like, hung out for 20 seconds and took three or four breaths before going back down. Like, that was really cool. Um, Yeah. Every once in a while, we'll get passbys by whales Mm -hmm. really close. Because usually when you're out there watching whales, mm-hmm. what you should do is you should parallel their course, you know, mm-hmm. at the appropriate distance, mm-hmm. 300 yards in Washington State, and, you know, every once in a while, for no random reason, they will dive underwater, and at no fault of anyone, they'll just, like, pop up next to your boat, 
and I scream so loud <laughs> that it's absolutely hmm. terrifying. It's um, terrifying? You don't like it? Well, I mean, like... I mean, you guys are on a small boat. Are you, like, scared yeah. from a tip? Oh, or? for sure. I am the definition of an average man. I am 5'9", and <gasps> if J28 pops up next to the boat, his dorsal fin off his back is six feet tall. Mm-hmm. Out of the water, he's probably six and a half to seven feet. And so if a whale gets close enough to you, you are looking up at it, which is terrifying. <laughs> and also when they exhale, it's really loud. Mm-hmm. So if you're just sitting there, like, looking down, doing data or something, okay, it's just like a... It's <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. Yes. I scream every time. Every time. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. <laughs> Oh, wow. But for no random reason, like, we don't know why they do it. Yeah. Maybe salmon hide in the shadows under boats. Oh, Maybe they're curious. Point. Maybe mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with that. Maybe they they're just, just bored. Like yeah. yeah. So they just thought they'd scare you for... <laughs> yeah. Maybe <laughs> like they're that smart that they're like, oh, guys, let's go scare. Let's go scare Taylor. <laughs> let's go get every time. <laughs> no. That's funny. I don't um, think they do that. <laughs> Maybe. Um... Speaking of education and outreach, is there, like, a specific program out here that you would recommend to anybody who wants to get involved in either learning or doing things to help the Southern residents? Um, I don't know. Like you said, there's a multitude of different organizations out there that do different things. So, I don't know, like, if you live down in Seattle and you're interested in helping the whales, but they're not always down there, you know, there's beach cleanups you can do, there's shoreline restoration, there's river restoration, there's education groups you can get organized with. Um, There's a lot of citizen science programs out there for southern residents and other marine mammal species, uh, like counting birds and, you know, even there's computer programs IDing humpback whales. Um, They have citizen science programs that do that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of different things. I mean, if you're interested in learning more again there's like a million websites the whale museum website is great has lots of links to other groups such as be well wise NOAA, which is like the federal government that does a lot of the more in-depth research and management of the whales they have lots of good papers and information videos infographics all that kind of stuff um so yeah i mean they are the most watched whales mm-hmm. there's a lot of information out there mm-hmm. about them nice very cool well thanks for letting us interview you do you have Thank any you. final thoughts uh if you're out here in the san juan islands on a boat don't get too close if you see a little blue boat approaching you wave say hi it's sound watch we like snacks <laughs> <laughs> any specific snacks like what will attract what? a sound watch so, someone, someone threw us like a bag of um like the red hots okay and i was like take them back okay <laughs> take them back. so no red hot no, <laughs> but yeah no i mean we're out there like eight hours a day and we have volunteers that can come out with us in the summer on the boat if you're interested email soundwatch at whelemuseum.org. Um, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so well, much. Thank you. Yes.